Hi, I'm Tracy Koga, and thanks for downloading this podcast from ilikehugh.com. If you can, give us a follow or subscribe. And remember that all the information about the guests in today's episode can be found at ilikehugh.com. Now, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Hugh Virtual Chats. Well, it, we are going now into our 34th show, so says my producer. So pretty amazing. I'm going to get right into it. We've got some amazing guests today and I think a story that you really want to hear and another, I guess, virtual event that's really going to inspire young women. So let's bring all of our amazing women to the Hugh Virtual Chat right now. Hey, hello. Hey, Pam. And Diane, I see you. Well, a picture of Diane right now. And it's Eileen, right? Nice to meet you, Eileen. And oh, thank you so much, Rochelle. Good to see you. So like everything else, when we're in this virtual land, uh, there's always technical problems. So, <laughs> so uh, we made it. Uh, everything's great. Everything's good. Um, I'm thinking Marley is going to join us uh, shortly. But you know how Marley is. She's always running a few minutes late. But that's OK, Marl. Love you. Anyways, I want to actually first open up with uh, Rochelle. Um, Rochelle, I received an email and it was like, wow, this sounds like an amazing event. And then read like, due to what we're living in now with the pandemic, you know, things have definitely changed. But I really wanted you to come today and share and talk about this because I think it truly is a very important event. Thank you so much for having me on your show once again. It's always a pleasure to get uh, with the Hugh crew and talk about exciting new initiatives. And so um, thank you uh, for the opportunity, Tracy, and thank you for all the work that you're doing and keeping connections uh, alive during this time of isolation and, and uh, social distancing. And so really appreciate what you're doing. So the Daughters of the Vote was started by Equal Voice uh, three years ago and it was a, a, a simple idea of uh, members of parliament giving up their seats in the legislature or in the House of Commons for uh, women to take their seat and have a one-day event where they could experience the life of a parliamentarian. And um, so that, that initiative has just caught fire. And I know many legislatures have copied initiatives similar to that. I know I've brought groups of young women into the, the Manitoba Legislative Assembly and given them the opportunity to sit in my chair and, and to have that, um, that, that opportunity to see what it's like as in some of these roles. I firmly believe that in order for a young girl to dream something, she has to be able to imagine it. And in order for her to be able to imagine it, she has to see role models living out uh, potential careers that she may want to um, develop and pursue herself. And so it's really essential to getting young women thinking about uh, possible life in politics. And that's where Equal Voice is committed. They're a nonpartisan art organization, just saying to all women, young women, across the country, hey, look at, look at politics as a, as a potential career. Now, you may be wondering, why is there this push to get uh, women, uh, women in politics? And I can tell you, I, I have the statistics at the top of my head for uh, the province here in the province of Manitoba, and they're indicative of, of the realities across our entire nation in terms of numbers of women leaders versus men leaders in, in uh, legislative roles. In the history of Manitoba, of course, we've been in Confederation for 150 years. And um, there have been roughly 800 men who have had um, the honor of representing a constituency as a Manitoba Legislative um, Assembly uh, elected official. 
Um, so eight, almost 800 men. I was the 60th woman in this province's history to get elected uh, in, in to, to take a seat in the chamber um, and represent a community in the province of Manitoba. And then when you think about the numbers uh, of the number of women who have held positions in cabinet, I was the 33rd woman to ever be appointed to cabinet. So if you think about all the laws, all the regulations that govern our society, there have only been 33 women who have had a, a role in, in creating and shaping those laws at, versus over 100 men who have sat in cabinet over the years. And so, um, the, and those numbers are, are indicative of, of every other legislature. Uh, Canada, we, we've only had one female prime minister. Here in the province of Manitoba, we've not had a, a woman uh, premier. We've only had one woman um, uh, mayor. The numbers, whether at, at the civic level, provincial or federal level, are, are staggeringly um, shocking and so equal voices is, is call uh put you know putting out this call and trying to get more women interested in politics so this year the um daughters of the vote will take place in a very different way they're still going to be proceeding with it it will be a three-day virtual event held next march 5th 6th and 7th um and uh there's there's the push right now to find 338 women across the country between the ages of um of 19 and 27 who will fill the chamber virtually and experience life as a parliamentarian. They will also be uh, taking part in workshops and panels and other key activities to gain practical understanding of what it means to be a, a lawmaker, whether what it means to be a parliamentarian or a legislator and, and what politics is really all about. They will also learn about some of those barriers that women face in politics and how to address those barriers in an effective way and um, and, and move uh, move move beyond them. Oh, so wow. the call is um, is open right now. The application deadline, I believe, is October first. So fast approaching. So thanks for getting me on your show so soon to share this good message. If you know women between the ages of 19 and 27, send them to equalvoice.ca. The application form is there and uh, tell them to put in their application. We're looking for 338 women to fill those seats uh, for, the, for the upcoming year. Oh, wow. And you know what, Rochelle, it is kind of whether it might be a, a great time um, as you're gonna hear the stories from all of these women, I'm seeing a commonality and it's about giving voice and making our voices heard in, in so many different ways. Uh, I really just think that this is an important thing. And as we always say, the future is our young people. So. Now is a time for them to have a say. And, and for yourself, Rochelle, I mean, you have overcome your own personal barriers and political barriers to get where you are today. So, you know, sharing your story is so important and enlightening too as well. And I know that it has spilled off onto all of the women and it gives a different light onto what a politician is. <laughs> At the end of the day, we know that you're, you're a human being, you're a person, you're a mom, you're a, you're a wife, you, you know. Um, just like everybody else. And I think that you exude that and that's why it's always great. So yes, we will try and get those numbers up. Uh, we will come back to you and I want your input because like I said before, all of these women today, it's their passion is about giving voice. So I'm gonna, I, first of all, go say hi to Diane because I know we've been going back and forth and trying to get you back on the show. How is the Boldness Project? How has your community been 
in all of this pandemic. And now we're in code orange. And of course, we'll talk about code, code orange too as well. So Diane, share your story. Well, you know, I'm always, and, I, and I've shared with you before, I'm always super inspired and super impressed at, um, you know, our community's ability to persevere, to carry on, to make it through, and, you know, to sometimes get out on the other side of something with such grace and dignity. And so I, I do feel that um, seeing that now. Um, and, you know, there's some tough patches still, and there's challenges that people are facing still. Um, but, you know, trying to be super adaptable and super responsive to mm -hmm. all, you know, new challenges that we're all finding ourselves in. Um, but I will say that, you know, at the beginning there in March, when all of it was happening, um, you know, there was a lot of people that wanted to have conversations either nationally or locally mm -hmm. about what we were going through and what were the considerations and what were the things we needed to pay attention to. And as I was being asked to, to participate in some of those conversations, I really did feel like a lot of those conversations were not reflective of what I was hearing kind of in the North End and talking to parents that are, are you know, um, dealing with this pandemic in the North End. And really, I felt like our parents and our families were talking mostly about their children mm -hmm. and just, you know, the, the uh, considerations of, do I keep my kids in? Do I let them out? You know, um, you know, people that sometimes are, don't have as many economic means. And so moving, you know, the world moving online, you know, people not having enough screens or not having good quality screens, not having access to Wi-Fi, uh, not even having access to a quiet little corner <laughs> to have a Zoom call or to do homework or yeah. to log on uh, in a virtual way. So I really um, appreciated being invited into those conversations because I was able to talk about that when I felt like that wasn't really um, the, the thing that people were talking about in a broad way across Canada. So, and it just feels like, you know, and, and to maybe um, the squire's point there, you know, sort of women's voice or women's concerns. I mean, I think children are all of our concern, but mm -hmm. certainly women carry that uh, very significantly in the North End. And so those issues just weren't as front and center. And, and so, again, that's the thing I like to talk about the most. Well, no. And so I was going to ask you now, you know, the kids going back to school, uh, and this has created a whole nother mix of things. So I know they say we're all in this together, but we have talked about it. And, you know, in many ways we aren't, but uh, especially in the North End, I mean, it's the fear is there everywhere. I mean, confusion and, you know, feelings of discontent, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of anxiety out there about we don't, there's so much we don't know. And, and I think part of the anxiety gets linked to how some of us are resourced to deal with the pandemic and how mm -hmm. some of us are not. And so, you know, there was one parent who talked about she, you know, having a sniffle or something like that. So she had to go get tested. And the instructions she was given after being tested, you know, in terms of what she was supposed to do after that, she actually just couldn't follow those uh, directions because she lived in a household where she couldn't use a separate bathroom or couldn't like there's just too too many kids living in the house too many adults in the house so she actually couldn't follow what was being told to her what she would have to do waiting for her test to come back and so I think a lot of the time our families feel 
super stressed that they're not able to follow what our health officers are telling us that we should be doing because they just don't have the resources. Wow. Well, it almost sounds like, you know, they need an outside source, right, to help them in that interim period. Um, you know, if they have to self-isolate and they just can't. And, and, but then what do they do if they're caregivers too, right? Uh, uh, so there's, yeah, still a lot to work, to work out on. And, you know, we'll continue on with the competition. I want to say hi to Marley. Thanks for joining, Marl. Thanks. Um, so and another great friend that I haven't seen for a long time, Pam. Thanks for joining us today, Pam. And again, you know, I, the theme is kind of, you know, getting our voices heard and a little background on Pam and she'll fill, fill it out more. But um, she's created this incredible website. Her, her, she herself is a former 911 um, call person. <laughs> Help, you know, the first person that you hear on the phone when you have an emergency for many, many, many years. And uh, this website that she has developed is all about um, helping those angels, those angels of emergency um, that, you know, suffer from the daily stresses of their own job. So that, would, that is a very vague thing. I want Pam to sort of talk about 9114911. I, you know, we had the conversation and uh, yeah, so how is that doing? And uh, my goodness, you know, our first responders are probably inundated just as much as we are too with all of this. Yeah. Thank you, Tracy. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I was a 911 operator, dispatcher, and supervisor um, for the City of Winnipeg Police Service, and I did that for 20 and a half years. And when I left, um, I felt that, uh, and it's something that's kind of felt throughout the um, industry of 911 dispatching, is that um, we're kind of the forgotten people in the whole process. Um, we're the first person for the most part that um, a citizen hears when they're in crisis, but we're the forgotten piece because the police, firefighters and paramedics are the ones that are actually seen during an event. They're the ones that are on the news, all that kind of thing. And we kind of don't get recognized uh, for the job that um, they do, answering the phones and dispatching the events. And with everything that's going on behind the scenes, it can get pretty hectic sometimes. And so I created um, my website in hopes of being a place to recognize the emergency service operators first off. And then it, um, it also trickles down to the frontline members as well but it's various products and uh, services. I'm looking to um, start some speaking. I know I've said that before, Tracy, and that kind of got put on the um, wayside, but I'm looking at um, getting that back into it, especially now with everything. It's just really hard because um, services aren't bringing face-to-face -face people in, and especially I know that they're not allowing people into the comm center here. Um, so, to do some things virtually could work, but it's still not the same as having the impact of face-to-face -face and being able to work with them um, in a smaller group um, and going through all of that together, just feeling that energy together in the room. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's basically the overarching theme behind um, my business there is just to bring recognition and support um, to those people who are the first first responders 
in an emergency event. Well, and if you can share, I mean, the, uh, a very powerful story, your own personal story of the many years that you were taking that first call and, and you described it, you, you hear everything, but you don't know what happens. And that can really, really eat at you. And I'll, there is a story of you personally where you have still, you probably still do have a hard time going by a certain area of town. Oh, yeah, there's a, there's a few places. But yeah, basically, yeah, when you're dealing with the event, you're, you're immersed in it for the first few minutes, if that even because sometimes even that's a long time to be on the phone. Um, or if you're on dispatch, you're in it for the amount of time. But when an event ends, we it's like reading a storybook, but the last chapter of you being ripped out of the book. So you don't know um, the ending of the story. When something is happening, um, we have to keep going on. The officers or firefighters or paramedics, that's where they are for mm -hmm. the entirety of the event. But we still have to answer the other calls. We have to dispatch the other events. We've, there's so much going on that it keeps, you know, we just don't know the ending. And we, when we come back the next day or to the next shift, we don't have time to read the reports. Some of the reports are closed. Um, there's, you know, certain things that we can't, we can't get. So it's like you left dangling. Um, you can see the carrot, but you can't quite reach it because you don't know. And Yes, there are certain places um, in the city where, um, you know, I drive by and the first thing, it's just an automatic reaction is that, you know, this is what happened here and either a positive or negative association related to that. And then it's just kind of like, okay, yeah, but back to reality here. Um, so, yeah, it's... Um, you know, it's hard to discuss some things because you still can't due to confidentiality and things. Um, but certain areas, certain buildings, certain um, intersections, Cinnaboyne um, Park, you know, whether it be Overdale and Portage or the actual like park itself, there's certain things um, that are very, um, that, you know, trigger thoughts and emotions and events there. Um, yeah, so having been in the, you know, in the job for over 20 years, there's places all over the city that bring back memories and they kind of stay with you. I say we kind of lock them in the vault of our mind, mm -hmm. but they do um, peek themselves out every once in, in a while and they basically stay with you for life. Wow. Well, you know what, I, I, Pam, I think, you know, certainly the more you can get your services out there, I think, especially now in this time, right, where, where it is so everybody's on edge and everything like that. But I guess um, I'll get Marley and Eileen now into all of this. Um, Eileen's going to share her story. And I, I guess maybe it's a nice segue, Eileen, because in Pam's case, the last chapter was ripped out of her story. But we might say that it was so hopeful and so wonderful that your final chapter was written in your story and then where you, it has taken you today. So um, just put this all into context for the rest of the ladies. Marley, it was, I guess, um, Winnipeg is six or seven degrees, right, of people being connected. And uh, Marley says you just have to have this amazing woman on your show. She's got this incredible story. Some of you might know of her story already um, to get a fuller view 
I would encourage all of you to go on Stitcher and Apple Podcasts and uh, go on to Verified. And the first chapter is called Maria. There's 10 episodes. I know there's more, but um, and uh, Eileen is one of the ladies. Um, not, I don't want to say that featured ladies is the right term, but um, one of the brave ladies that came forward to share a story. So thank you, Marley. I mean, we'll get you into the conversation later on because I think it all, I mean, we can all kind of relate a little bit in any kind of aspects of what Eileen did on her great girl trip to Italy. So yeah, if you can share your story now, Eileen. You're, you just have to press uh, mute. Excuse me. There we go. You guys can hear me? Yeah. Thank you so much for the generous introduction. I really appreciate it. And Marley, thank you so much too. Um, it's a pleasure to speak to you guys at Q. Um, I'll just go a little bit into my story and then allow for questions or anything like that. Um, but back in 2013, I was traveling Italy Padova with uh, my best friend and we were couch surfing. And um, there we stayed with a host named Maglio, and um, he was actually a police officer at the time. And we were very young and um, just excited about this trip. So he offered us a place to stay and we decided to take him up on it um, through the Couchsurfing website. And on the second night, he um, drugged and sexually assaulted us. And um, we fled from his place the very next morning once we woke up. And um, within a few days, I report, I waited a few days because I was still in shock, but I uh, reported it on his couch surfing profile. And immediately I'm telling you, there was several girls writing back to me saying, you know, the same thing happened to me, the same thing happened to me. And it was devastating and shocking and, terrifying. Um, one of the girls who is now one of my friends, um, Maria, so she got in touch with me and she said, we have to do something about this. And I said, yeah, I think we do have to do something about this, but like, what can we do? We can go to the cops. So um, I actually reported, me and my friend reported this in um, Austria. That was the next place we went to after Italy. And um, the police were not helpful there. Um, they basically said, you know, because we were not Austrian citizens and the crime didn't happen in Austria, there was nothing that they could do besides take down a report. So we decided that we had all reported in our home cities and it was really hard for the Winnipeg police to be able to take on my case because it was international. So we kept on fighting. Um, Maria got in touch with IRPI which is an investigating, report, investigating reporting project Italy. Um, so they're a not-for-profit journalism team. And um, they actually took our stories. They released it worldwide um, back in 2016, I believe. And then from there, they worked with us. They paired us up with a team of lawyers. We all went down to court in 2019. Um, we fought against Maglio together, and from there I kind of started my public speaking, um, and then I got more involved in the community with mental health um, because I suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, so I wanted to be, give back to women, and I wanted to give back to mental health, 
And so now I'm working with Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba, and I just got a promotion to the Women's Programming Coordinator here. So I'm very excited. So, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, I listened to the podcast. Uh, okay. So I, she, she does briefly go over it, but all of my questions, yeah, like, how do you, you know, how do you even escape? But I mean, and, but how devious this person was and, and all the stories the same. And then it was just like, well, how could you not believe all of these women telling the same story? Mm-hmm. And then as, you know, as a parent or as an older generation, well, what is couch surfing? surfing? And like, you want to go into a stranger's home and sleep on their couch? And, um, but, you know, for all of the, uh, the verified or the, you know, People out there, um, you know, pe- most have a, a good experience. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in hearing about the actual person who started it all, it was just clearly, yeah, a, a cheap way, maybe a more creative way of traveling because you get to stay with the local, you get to, you know, share their food, they know the city so they can take you around. And so, yeah, all those questions, but. Uh, I don't know if any of, of the ladies, yeah, and Marley, thank you too. And maybe too, I just want to make that connection. Eileen, I believe Marley was your dance teacher. Yeah, <laughs> she was for years and years. Uh, yeah. And and how did dance sort of help you, I guess, in all of this? Or had you, or were you still dancing at that point? I wasn't dancing at the point, but um, I... Besides post-traumatic stress disorder, I do suffer with some mental illnesses. Um, thankfully, they're all in recovery now, and I'm doing much better. Um, but I did suffer with them. And dance helps a lot, especially the style lyrical, I would say, for me personally, because it allows you to express your, express your emotions and tell a story. Um, we actually incorporated um, dance in um, mood disorders. Uh, we had a youth program. Um, It was a mad camp, it was called for music, art and dance. So we incorporated dance for the younger kids to, um, you know, learn how to express their emotions and to feel a story and to get it out there. And um, yeah, I believe dance is a beautiful way of kind of, yeah, just feeling your emotions and uh, expressing yourself. Wow. it It brought us all back sort of together. I just want to like jump in. But um, Eileen came back to our dance school to use the studio for choreographing for her students. So that was really, really awesome to see. And then all of the girls, all of us, like from Eileen's group, we got Mm -hmm. together and I started a team uh, for the Run for Women marathon. Mm -hmm. So we all ran a 5K together in tutus. <laughs> so I was going to ask you. Yeah, oh, excuse myself right now. I apologize. Okay. I have a 12 o'clock that I need to go. But I just okay. wanted to say thank you so much for letting me be here today. Thank you, Eileen, for your sharing your story. And congratulations. Thank oh. you. Oh, wait, where can I find the podcast? On Stitcher or Apple. Podcast. Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. Yeah, and it's on Spotify, Spotify as well. Okay. I'm yeah. going to listen to your podcast, Eileen. I think that's remarkable. Ladies, oh, it was such a you. wonderful pleasure to meet all of you, Pam and Diane. And uh, sorry, I didn't even get to meet you. Marissa? Marley. 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 
very nice to meet all of you. Tracy, thank you for having me thank here today. I'll see daughters you again. Of the vote. Daughters of the Vote, October 1st, equalvoice.ca. There we go. Bye, ladies. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. So I was going to ask you, Marley, um, how did you feel when you heard or, you know, about Eileen's experience? Because you knew her, you know, as a student and as, mm-hmm. as, a, as a young person. I think um, it's, I mean, it's always really devastating to hear any story like that. But when you think of someone that you know specifically for, you know, a long time, it really hits you um, that much harder. And we're, you know, and, and, and I mean, it's awful that it happens to anyone. Um, but then you start thinking like, well, you know, I, like how great Eileen is and how, um, beautiful of a dancer she is and how sweet she is. And she was, uh, she was in Disney. Like she was, she worked for, for Disney world. Like that is her persona. She's happy, beautiful, smart, strong. So then that hits you harder because of all of her, uh, these positive attributes, you know, um, I think the immediate, one of the immediate things that I thought of in, was also the stigma around um, around sexual assault mm-hmm. and that there probably still remains to this day stigma around sexual assault, which is, is, is horrifying. You know, there are how many women involved in this case um, and yet how hard they had to fight to get anyone to really listen to them. Um, is devastating so um and it and the other thing is the whole the whole um issue of mental health and post-traumatic stress and the stigma of related to post-traumatic stress you know it's not real it's just made up and you know that type of of language associated with post-traumatic stress disorder so that also sort of comes to mind um when I think of this, this story, um, and, and then the fact that Eileen is, is now working to, you know, bring to light issues of mental health for women and youth. It's so powerful. Like it's so powerful. It bring, it brings me, it brings me to tears every time I think about it, every time I see her. Well, I mean, it's, it's the future too. And you think about the young ones and, you think about your own daughter, right? You just have to, Absolutely. yeah. So I want to bring Pam and Diane into all of this because I know that um, for every one brave woman like Eileen and those 13 other women that share their story, there's hundreds that don't. Um, and in this day and age, what is it? What, like, how do we create that safe space, right? I, and I think that's, it's kind of been two words that have been used a lot, but it means so much and it means so many different things to so many people. So Diane, I mean, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty hard to hear, but I'm sure you've heard a lot. Well, and that is, um, you know, the, the nature of, of, of really everything, right. In, in that, in the face of such great adversity and challenge, you know, people do rise to that. And so, you know, Eileen's strength 
and her actions after, you know, this horrible, you know, event that has happened to her and to these women um, really do create a pathway and a sense of, um, I, th I think, hope and action for the rest of us. And, you know, we are in this era of, you know, the Me Too environment. <laughs> we're, we're seeing some very high profile situations, you know, with like the, the Roger Ailes and the Weinstein and the Epstein, mm -hmm. just how society has allowed this predatory behavior to go on for like, and it's not just one episodic event, you know, it's, it's like in Eileen's case, many women that this has happened to by the same person. And how is it that we allow, you know, this to, we have conditions. And so how are we as women, um, and it's not just women, I mean, it's men too, right? Like, how are we able to create the, the safety of being able to come forward and talk about your experience and, and the, the effects of what has happened? Because that's ongoing. And, you know, again, Aline has said that she's, you know, really doing some good things right now, but I'm sure some of that stuff is going to, you're going to carry a lot of that for a long time. And, and as we listen to women's stories, you know, they, it's a challenge and they continue to carry, carry that for a long time. So, um, you know, just the more we can create the conditions for that support and for that, um, for that healing, I think is important. Um, I do want to say that, you know, speaking as an Indigenous First Nations woman and um, doing a lot of work in the inner city, you know, the ongoing, again, the injustice of it, right? The ongoing nature is that so many of our families in the inner city fear for their children every single day. And it's the microaggressions and it's the ongoing nature of that fear. Um, you know, when we talk to our parents who live in some of our inner city neighbors, they talk about knowing which cars are circling the neighborhood and which license plates belong and which ones don't belong. And really they're here <laughs> looking for our kids and they're trolling and, you know, and, and so that whole trafficking and, and, and everything else is, is an ongoing reality for, for many of us in this city. And so we do have to keep vigilant and we do have to um, keep uh, just really being aware that, it's not just that one time that that one thing happened. Like it's every single day, so many of our families are having to wake up and, and be on guard uh, to try to prevent this from happening. So again, I think um, I always feel, I double down my effort when I hear these inspiring stories and I see the strength of other people who, who were able to stand up and, and speak out. And so that just gives me courage as well. So the bravery is, um, is so needed. So I just, again, I want to, say that to Eileen directly that, you know, your bravery, it, it means something to a lot of us. No. Yeah. Um, Eileen, and then this will kind of segue into Pam. Um, and I don't know if I can mention this, but I mean, it was in your podcast. It was in the updates. Uh, I really loved your speech was amazing. Uh, it's just Eileen and Kate is another survivor. Um, and you were both interviewed on how you were moving forward. And this was so eloquent. Uh, I think it sh you should run for mayor, but <laughs> I mean, as, as Rochelle was saying, like we have a lack of women, um, but all being able to have a voice and how great would it be to have someone to speak on what these parents are going through in the North End? Like, you know, and, and Diane, we need to hear these things too, because 
you know, as we are all living in our, our bubble, we're living, living in even more of a bubble that we don't even see outside anymore. And we only hear what's on social media and what's on the news. And this is what I was always hoping for and a dream of in, in this platform. And if hopefully we can get it into something more and bigger is to hear all these real stories, to hear how Pam is a 911 operator and, and we don't know like these people at all. So um, if you could talk to a little bit more on your restorative justice and what that all means for you, Eileen, and what you're trying to do, which is super cool. Yeah, um, so for restorative justice, um, I was referring to more supports for women. So um, when we hear of justice, we're only really dealing with um, the initial like, okay, this person did a wrong, so they're going to go to jail, which he is not even in jail right now. He is under house arrest in Italy. So we haven't even gotten that justice. Um, but Restorative justice is more for um, the victim um, or the survivor, and it's more at looking at ways that we can help them. So, for example, there's Victim Services Canada, which um, has given me some money um, for supports. For, um, for example, they've uh, paid for massages for me because when you have PTSD, you constantly have like tension in your shoulders, neck and back, and it really, really affects you. Like there's days where I would wake up back. Uh, this happened seven years ago, I should say. So there's been days in the past where I would wake up and it was hard to get out of bed because I carried so much tension in me because I was keeping the secret piled up and suffering alone. And so Victim Services Canada gave me some money to get massages. Um, that was a part of the agreement. But we need more restorative justice. Like we need services, like we need a psychologist or a counselor, um, you know, and that's not really being offered. You have to really seek out resources in the community for yourself. There's no one there right away to help you right when you like right when I reported it there, it would have been nice to have somebody say okay you're a sexual assault survivor so we're going to take you through the steps of what you do here is the reporting stage now what else can we look at you need a counselor okay here's a counselor okay what else do you what else how else is it affecting your life so that's kind of what I was referring to as for restorative justice is getting more supports for survivors um, who are suffering this because we didn't ask for it. It happened to us. And now, for example, I've lost so much money for flights and for court fees, you know, and I've um, missed work because of it because I was so sick. And there's so much more than just the and I'm saying just, but like, there's so much more than the trauma that initially happens to the survivor. Um, so it'd just be helpful to listen to survivors more and then to, to fund our society properly and give out those resources. But that's what I was talking about with restorative justice. No, it was, it was, it was very good. And are you still in touch with Kate at all or? I am. Yes. Yeah. We're still in touch. Oh, good. And she's doing okay. And Rhea too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah. They're doing good. Oh, yeah. So Pam, I mean, 911-491, 911 is <laughs> sort of like 
what uh, Eileen was talking about. Maybe not justice, but just sort of restorative or, you know, therapeutic, right? Once mm -hmm. you transition out of that job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, like I said, the, the whole reason behind it was um, on a person's worst day to let them know that they are not alone. Mm -hmm. um, and initially it, it was for the emergency services field. But as I talked to people and, you know, listened to stories like Eileen's and uh, others, I feel that there are certain parts of it that can be brought forward to um, other areas as well. Um, especially when it comes to my um, you are not alone line, my Yana line. Mm -hmm. It's for people who have been through trauma of some sort and um, just realizing that even on your darkest day when it's the hardest to get up and get out of bed or you feel like there's nobody around, that there is somebody else who unfortunately has gone through something it might not be exactly the same as what you've gone through, but something similar. Mm -hmm. And there are people that are out there who are um, willing to support you and um, reach out their hands to help you in whatever way they can. Uh, and, you know, some of the programs that I want to offer and the, the talks that I want to offer can, you know, reach more than just the emergency services. Um, but it ties in that way too, because, you know, we, we hear all these stories and, and sometimes it's like when Eileen gets back from somewhere, it's, it's a time has passed since the event happened or we're on the line as it's happening or after it's just happened. And you're hearing that absolute terror in, you know, a female's voice. And there's not, you know, we have to be the, the support line there for them and you don't want to get pulled in too much, but call after call and story after story like that, it, um, you know, it affects us to some degree as well, even though we haven't physically felt um, and gone through what a person has. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's so many ways that, you know, we need to, as women offer support to others and see if there's ways that we can work together, help together, do something so that whatever you know the issue may be that you know they know that you're not alone in whatever your journey whatever path you're on yeah well i encourage you all of you women if you can write down your websites you know diane your boldness project and pam um, 9114911 and then eileen share the mood disorders and then you know at least you have the websites and emails and so I think the three of you could probably collaborate on something very, very, very good for our communities. And so now it draws me to the conclusion of Code Orange. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, has it changed anything for you or is it just sort of the same? Marley. I think the one thing it changed for parents um, is a little bit more anxiety. I think it, <laughs> it's created more anxiety um, for how we're going to navigate life. Um, so I can't imagine when you're facing different socioeconomic challenges and barriers, 
um, you know, how it would cause that much more anxiety for, 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 uh, you know, those parents. Um, um, so I, I mean, this is at the beginning of all of this, my head didn't go to, Oh my gosh, I'm going to get the virus. I got to protect my family with the virus. My head was, what are we going to do with all of our families and children that are, you know, facing socioeconomic barriers and challenges. Some do not have, who, who do not have homes or who are couch surfing. So in our population of homeless, um, homelessness in Winnipeg and I mean in other cities too, but because we have our climate, our climates are so different mm -hmm. in Winnipeg, um, couch surfing, um, it, 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 it is a thing. Um, when, when folks don't have a place to stay, they, they, they do typically, they are not typically, but they're, they, couch surfing is still one of those options. So, you know, um, if they don't have the $12 or whatever to pay to Salvation Army to stay a night, then they might be couch surfing on someone's couch and then they go to someone's couch the next day. Um, so that is a reality that, that we, you know, our, our fellow citizens face. And then how do we navigate all of that? How are all the systems not, you know, working together and needing to work together to help those in need? So anyways, that's a long drawn out answer. I'm sorry, but mine is twofold, always twofold. Cause I always think of everyone else. <laughs> everyone else. <laughs> Diane. Oh, well, you know, I, I, again, I, I feel um, there's some drawbacks and then yet there's also some positives in, in this, in that I have children and so my children are in school and I, you know, at the beginning of September, getting ready to go into the schools and doing orientations and what have you, I was able to go in and see what the schools have actually done and how they're going to be, you know, running the day to day with the kids in, in the classrooms. So I felt like very impressed with what school divisions have done, you know, in terms of really trying to ensure safety for our kids. So I felt a level of, um, I don't know, and I think all of a lot of what we're talking about, some basic human needs are to have a sense of safety and security. And if we can find all the different ways, because there's lots of different ways to try to create senses of safety and security. And our panelists today were talking about a lot of their efforts are around, you know, healing or restorative kinds of initiatives. So I think that's really great. So the school was able to really alleviate some of my fears and insecurities around, you know, what, what's going to happen with the kids. So when Code Orange was, was, um, you know, announced, I, I kind of felt like it was so focused on bar hopping and restaurants. And I just thought, oh, well, my kids are in school. And you know, that's where my focus is, is, is whether or not there's going to be transmission within schools. Um, but I am concerned about, you know, the testing capacity, I'm concerned about hospital capacity. And so I do feel like, you know, um, in the school systems, if, if one kid has the symptoms, you know, then all the kids got to get tested or, you know, and then you got to self isolate and all those, you know, all the things kick in. So, so I'm definitely um, anxious about what if some of that happens. 
but I also feel I'm more equipped with information now and I'm more equipped with like I actually have hand sanitizer now and I actually have some wipes now before in March I didn't have any of that I couldn't get any of that and I went out and stocked up again on Sunday just in case you know I, <laughs> um, you know so I stocked up on my tissue papers and things like that um, so I just feel a little bit more prepared this time than yeah. than say the first time so that's the positive of it but yeah, we, I think um, part of, again, the, the anxiety for a lot of people is, is really about the duration. Like, we just don't know how long this mm-hmm. is going to, how long we're going to have to deal with this. I, I feel that's the thing that weighs on people so much, right? If, I think we're, we're, we feel more equipped to deal with short-term emergencies. Like, we feel like we can deal and adapt and, and get through that you know, fairly decently, but it's the duration of this pandemic uh, that, you know, that we're in a marathon versus a sprint here. I think that's the thing that really weighs on people's minds. Yeah, no, and no doubt too. And I mean, we were fortunate over the summer of having like a few, uh, you know, a series of days with no cases. And I, and I think that's when everybody let their guard down and, you know, it's beautiful to be outside and, you know, reconnecting with people and the people concept, right, of seeing people is so, is so important. And yeah, I guess we just have to use our common sense, rely on that and the information that is there for us. But, uh, you know, and Pam, too, I mean, you know, it's been it's been a crazy time for you, too, as well, right? Because you well, you were working for the Winnipeg Airport Authority, too. Yeah, I was. And um, I haven't been there since the end of April, I guess, um, with all that um, is going on, travel kind of almost came to a standstill. Mm-hmm. So um, that um, made a lot of us get laid off. And now with you know everything keeping being extended, um, there's kind of an uncertainty there. But for me, I tried to look at it as a time that I could work on some other projects that I had going on. I wasn't going to let it get me down or um, just become a bump on a log, you know, or kind of hold myself up in my apartment here. Um, I wanted to use the time um, to benefit myself and others if I could in a way. And so that's where I've been kind of working, um, you know, behind the scenes on some, um, some other projects and things. So yeah, it's it's kind of scary again now that the numbers keep rising. Um, and I think just like Diane said, it's just the uncertainty of the length and how long it's going to go on and everything um, like that. And it, the financial situation for people, if they don't have a job or they get laid off again and all that um, weighs heavily on people. And so... Yeah, it, it's hopefully, um, you know, things will get back to a somewhat more calm level of things and we'll be able to um, get back to where it was before over the summer where we could at least go out and see some people and everything. But, you know, we just got to take care of ourselves and just be considerate of others, you know, people, that whole mask, you know, controversy, but it may not be for yourself, maybe for the person that you're you know walking by in the store or something it's you don't know their situation their family situation so you just have to be empathetic to others around you and do it for them as much as for yourself 
Well, well, no, well said. And uh, that certainly is always a point of, of discussion. Um, Eileen, I was wondering too now, I mean, entering into 2020 after all of the things that you had gone through in the, over the last couple of years with the trial and traveling and then boom, COVID and pandemic, um, back in isolation. Uh, uh, was that hard for you after, you know, because there is a sense of, well, obviously you talked about relief and he was convicted. Um, maybe not, you know, under the terms that were ideal, but it was a victory. Um, there's sort of definitely a sort of sense of celebration or a little bit of elation. So how was 2020 now been for you mentally? Yeah, um, I think like what Pam was saying about just doing your own projects behind the scenes, that seemed to really help me. Um, I also have a YouTube channel. So <laughs> when this first started happening, um, the whole self-isolation thing was a huge topic. And I talked about that because I can relate a lot to self-isolation, just dealing with my trauma and, you know, feeling alone in it. So I felt like I was a self-isolation queen. Like I knew what to do. I knew what kept me busy, um, what I enjoyed doing, what was good for my mental health. So I released um, a few YouTube videos on that. Um, so personally, it it's scary, definitely. And there's a lot of anxiety. Um, and I face anxiety with COVID-19 for sure, like everybody else. Um, but just keeping busy, um, like Pam said, on behind the scenes and doing your own projects and also with mood disorders, that has really helped me too. Um, and um, because of Code Orange, there's only allowed to be 10 people indoors now. So that has affected us a lot. Um, so for our groups, like our women's wellness group, we had to reduce the number to only eight participants with two facilitators. So we're working around it. Um, we're also looking to launch a new website and to have online um, resources available for the public. So that's in the works. But uh, I think we just have to be as adaptable as possible during this time because you're right, we don't know when it's going to end. Yeah, no. Well, I guess as, as long as we don't go to Code Red, which apparently Quebec and Montreal have. So that would be... Well, it would wreck our whole economy, you know, shutting down the restaurants and all of small businesses again. So hopefully everybody, we can, you know, wear our masks, groups of 10 or less and cross our fingers, you know, we'll get out of this October because I guess we're locked down, I guess, for the month as we're all nodding our heads. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? So I want to say so much, um, Eileen, it's amazing. Um, and I know that you're going to be doing even better things. So let's reconnect. Definitely. Uh, if you want to uh, share your YouTube channel too on the, yeah, on the sure. chat box. So that'll be great too. And we'll send that out. And Diane, it's always great. And I still want to do that. Come to your neighborhood and do a chat. And maybe we should work on just a virtual chat too. But um, I really, I really would love, uh, you know, to get, I think, a better awareness of the different communities and how, like I said, we live in our, our little bubbles, but 
this is a bubble that needs to be burst and probably maybe in this time that we're all kind of in angst it might be a good time to kind of you know open the eyes and start the conversations too because i think at the end of the day we can all really help each other if only just to learn what another family is experiencing i think is is really really important and pam you'll keep us in the know and everything like that i think you and and eileen should connect because i think there's a really good synergy of what you can offer and what eileen is trying to to work towards too as well so thank you so much everybody and stay safe marley i want a sparkle mask can you make me a sparkle mask i'm sure you could find something with bling on it oh i have <laughs> oh i have a good option for you tassels and pearls oh my goodness Yes. Yeah. But can only, it's only good to be on your, on your face for like about 10 minutes, right? And then it's like, then you're sweating. Yeah. And then you're just sweating. Okay. Thank you, dear. I can hardly wait. All right. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you so much. We'll talk Thank soon. Bye, Eileen. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of com. Podcast distribution from the Sound Off Media Company. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.